one thing I've done since Kate died is I tend to say yes to everything. And I know other people who would say the opposite to me. Don't say yes to everything. Other people will, will find that a better method. For me, saying yes to everything has been has been much better for me because I find that that encourages me to get out. It mm-hmm. stops me getting into habit of saying no, which I was probably more worried about, was getting into habit of saying no and just being a hermit and, and not getting involved with, with life. Hello and welcome to the 14th and final episode of Same Shit Different Brain Series 2 with me, Rebecca Ryder. Can you believe it's the end of the second series already? I hope you've had a good fortnight. I've been making the final preparations for my first ever live event on Thursday with Same Shit Different Brain and I'm very excited about it indeed. If you didn't hear me bang on about it yet, it's called How to Make Friends and Find Community with four amazing panellists, two of whom are former guests. You might remember Brainy Gunson and Fran Bibby. And I'm so happy at how many people have booked to come along. It's just really nice to see that this idea has resonated with so many people and I really hope it's of help to someone. Plus, it's been picked up and featured in online publications such as Manchester's Finest and Visit Manchester, which is lovely as well. So, I can't wait to meet everyone. It's going to be a brilliant evening. And if you haven't yet got a ticket and you like the sound of it, there are still some available. So, check out the link in the show notes. So, this episode, I speak to Phil Cookson, who is Director of Creative Resource and founder of the School of Thought. Phil spoke about the passing of his wife Kate in 2019 before then losing his mum a few months later too, just before the pandemic. He talked about how he found the process of grief, including navigating loneliness in lockdown, managing anniversaries, honing in on his own coping methods and helping his dad to come to terms with his loss too. Phil made a children's book about his wife to gift to his young niece, who was born just after she died. He wanted her to get to know the person her auntie was, and the process of creating this with the illustrator provided an invaluable positive focus point for Phil. Another cathartic experience he talks about was five days walking the length of Hadrian's Wall in winter with his dog Oscar, raising an amazing £5,000 for a local cancer charity. He also spoke about starting the School of Thought to empower others in their career development and confidence. I hope you enjoy the episode and if you like the show, please take a minute to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or rate it on Spotify. Morning Phil. Hey Becky, how you doing? Yeah, good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. I've just come into a side room so I get some privacy. I'm in the office today, so. How's your day going today? Uh, better than yesterday. That's uh, good. So yeah, I mean, and I, I'm always quite honest with answering this question. Uh, the last few days have been pretty bad, to be honest. Uh, have they? Yeah. Well, I've just gone through in the last week. It's been. Uh, it was the anniversary yesterday of my wife's death three years ago. Oh, of course it was. Yeah, I didn't see that actually. An emotional. It's an emotional day every year, you know. It, it, I bet all the all the the big days are, you know. And and last week it was it would have been a birthday, so yeah. we have this like period of her birthday and the anniversary of her death being very close together. 
and and yeah. they, they they give you very conflicting emotions uh, because with a birthday you you can still you know you you can still sort of have some happy memories from that and you know you you sort of celebrate a birthday but then very quickly after celebrating a birthday you get into the anniversary of of when she died and all the emotions that surround surround that and all the memories that surround that event which which are sad so it, yeah. it's a very it's a very strange time really so okay. certainly I've had a few days in the last week where it's you know I felt I felt really rough really bad yeah. uh, but you know then you, you I don't know you you know it's the same every year you know and it's the same when you get to Christmas you know Christmas is another one that's that's yeah. tricky you know and you know so but you get used to these days I suppose over time but but yeah, so better today, which is, you know, it's good. Nice to feel a bit better. So. Yeah, and, and openness is the key, isn't it? And um, I feel like it's a a trendy thing to say at the moment, but just feeling all your feelings. Obviously, it's um, there's a lot of a lot of sense in that, definitely. Yeah, and, and you know, I've been a big advocate of that uh, for the last few years. And I suppose it was always in my nature. I've always been quite a... Uh, an upfront person, I suppose. I've always yeah. been somebody who's, That's good. You, know, I've, you know, I've probably been described as blunt sometimes, which is, you know, is probably part of my nature. Uh, my mum would always describe me as stubborn. Uh, <laughs> she, that's what she always used to say about me. So, so I think perhaps the 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 way I always was has has helped me to be more open and honest yeah. about my mental health. You know, since my wife passed, so. And I know not everybody would have that same starting point as me, but but certainly that it probably helped me that I'd always sort of had that sort of style of communication anyway, I think. Yeah, well, that's definitely a, a good thing. Yeah, I mean, so many people would just try and ignore it, you know, brush it off. Let's get on with it. Everything's fine. And it's not the healthy thing to do, is it? So, no. yeah, it's really good no. that you are so open about it. And that helps other people as well, obviously. Yeah, it does. And, you know, I, I had the experience of helping my dad through losing my mum mm. because uh, my mum died five months after my wife. So I had them both, like, very close together. And, and when my mum died, you know, obviously that upset me, but obviously it knocked my dad uh, sideways. And But because I'd been through it five months before, I had an understanding of what, what he was going through and how he might yeah. be feeling. And, you know, it, it's one of the things I found when uh, when Kate died was, you know, people th- think you don't, you shouldn't be alone. And people want to like be around you all the time. They're like, oh no, we won't leave you alone. Oh, do you want people mm. to stay over tonight? And you don't, you appreciate it, but you don't need people there 24 seven. Yeah. Sometimes you want your own space and, I remember when my mum died and my brother and and one or two others sort of said, oh, well, you know, uh, should we stay with your dad? Let's not leave him alone. And I was like, no, he'll be fine on his own. If he wants our help and our company, like he'll, he'll ask for it, but he will want time alone as well. You know, you that you do need a balance. You don't want to be, or I certainly didn't want to be smothered. Uh yeah at that time I feel like you do need people and I spent you know when Kate died I spent 
I spent weeks really with her family, you know, sort of every day seeing them for weeks and weeks. Mm. But you still want some time alone, maybe in the evening, you know, you don't need people yeah. staying over at night. You know, sometimes, you know, you need a balance, I think. Uh, so, you know, sort of learning that through how my body reacted helped me to sort of help my dad when he was going through the same thing. Yeah, what a brilliant thing for you to, I mean, obviously it's a really tragic time. Like, I'm so sorry that happened so close together. But, you know, the positives from that, as you've mentioned, you could understand exactly what your dad needed yeah. and provide it for him. You might not otherwise have, have known. You might have thought he couldn't be on his own. Like, people worry, don't they, like, about leaving people on their okay. own. And it's great to have comfort around you. It's great to know that people care and have the love around you. But I guess the grieving process can't really happen properly while you have sort of the distraction of people around you taking your no. mind a little bit. It can't, you know, and I, I would say I didn't start grieving properly, I think, for about three months. Yeah. Uh, and because you, you're caught up in a whirlwind uh, of activity and, you know, there's so much to do, you know, whether it be from, you know, arranging the funeral, informing people, you know, arranging the catering for the funeral, you know, uh, yeah. through to contacting all the different organisations you have to speak to to close bank accounts mm. and death certificate. And Formalities. It takes a lot of lot of uh, time and activity to, to get through all that. So I, I found it, it I, I think about three months I started grieving. I, I had about six weeks off work. Uh, and then I was starting to get a little bit bored so I thought I want to go back to work so I made a phased return to work uh, and that was helpful because again I was glad to be doing something Mm. Uh, but then about three months in probably around the time I started counselling was was the time when I I felt like I really started to grieve Uh, and whether it was coincidental that it was around the time I started counselling or perhaps it was partly as a result of starting the counselling sessions that uh, that the grieving process started for me at that time really uh, yeah. the first few weeks you just don't you almost expect the person to walk in mm. you know at the end of the day oh, it's yeah. just like they're on a long holiday you know yeah. it's you know you you are you do spend time apart from someone so it just seems like an extended time apart in some ways Mm. and you wrote a children's book didn't you um as part of what you'd learned throughout your process with um your wife as the main character so how soon after did this come and was this part of the process of sort of helping yourself as well yeah it it was it came trying to think how long after i think the idea started forming maybe around 12 months after she passed away and and like I say it was it, it was to provide my niece with an understanding of, of who her auntie was and I, I wanted to find a, a good way of of sort of getting that message to her of who her auntie was and and what she's believed in and you know what type of personality she was and yeah I, I'm not sure where it came from I just had an idea of you know why don't I make a children's book you know if she's she's very young she'd only she'd been born uh, sort of seven months 
seven, eight months after my wife died. So right. I knew I had time to, to do something because she was still a baby. Uh, and, and yeah, it, it, it was definitely part of my grieving process as well, as, as well as providing something for, for her as she grows up. It, it was part of my process. And it took about, uh, about 12 months from start to finish to, to, to create it. I worked with a, an amazing children's author and illustrator called Sarah Parkinson. Yeah. And she's, she's you know, illustrated and, and uh, written her own children's books. And she was very kind enough to, to agree to help me with, with my project. And, you know, we spent, you know, hours and hours talking about my wife and who she was and oh. providing pictures and, and memories and things so that Sarah could uh, pull together a story that weaved mm. through uh, Kate's life and and then use the, the pictures to create these amazing illustrations that are just into, into sort of weaved with some actual pictures uh, uh, sort of mixed in with illustrations. So, uh, and so it's just got this wonderful feel of, uh, of, of who my wife was and about what type of person she was. So mm-hmm. there's, there's huge, uh, huge numbers of messages in there really for, for my niece as she grows up so that hopefully she, she gets to understand who her auntie Kate was, uh, you know, and it's, and it was just, yeah, it, I found it very, very cathartic. I bet, to do yeah. that. And to, you know, to produce something at the end of it and to finally hold the printed version of the book, it was just, you know, it's just amazing because partly as well, because I mean, I'm not a creative person, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a very uncreative person. Actually, I, I can't think of anything creative I can do unless you count cooking. I'm, I'm a pretty yeah. good cook. I suppose that's creative, but yeah, generally I, I, I don't consider myself a creative person. So, so whenever I get the opportunity to interact with people who are creative and to watch their talents, I, I just find it absolutely amazing uh, to do that. You know, and so that it was a wonderful experience. I bet it was. Yeah. I mean, what a lovely thing to be able to focus on. And it's what a great way to sort of help yourself through the grieving process. I mean, it's the exact opposite of putting it to the back of your mind and trying to move on, isn't it? It's like immersing yourself in your wife's story and then sharing it with other people as well. It's an absolutely beautiful thing to do. Did you get um, some really positive feedback on that from other parents then, I imagine? Yeah, I mean, obviously the the, the family and friends, uh, my wife, like, I made sure I got enough copies of the book for everybody because yeah. everybody wanted a, a copy for their bookshelf. <laughs> so I think, you know, all sort of her family and friends have got a copy now. Oh. Uh, and I think, you know, I mean, that some of them just, you know, the, the messages I got and the conversations I had in terms of, you know, sort of how emotional it made people from sort of having this keepsake really yeah uh, you know because she she did touch so many lives and she had so many friends from you know different parts of her life that you know it, it's given again you know like I say it gave me some comfort it's it's helped me with my grieving process then you know it, it hopefully it's helped them as well uh you know sure and it's have, yeah. uh, you know been I think a positive experience for everybody really to to have that book so 
Amazing. And then, yeah, as you say, like realizing that you are actually more creative than you think, that's, you know, um, it not only gave you purpose, but then like surprising yourself, I guess, is a really nice positive to have taken from it and what you could sort of be capable of. Yeah, because, you know, certainly Sarah was was brilliant because, you know, she was the she was the illustrator. She was the author. She knew how to pull a story together and to weave it into a finished product. Yeah. But I certainly felt that, you know, she did really, really well at drawing uh, sort of me into the creative process and and getting me to contribute my ideas. Uh, and, you know, it was, I feel like it was very much sort of, a you know, an open open door policy that, you know, I, I could, you know, sort of contribute wherever I could to the, the process of the finished finished piece. And she asked, yeah. you know, so many questions that made me think, about what we wanted it to, you know, to feel like, to look like, uh, you know, and ultimately, you know, what it's, uh, uh, what the finished product ended up being. I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, again, it, it exposed me to areas that I didn't really think I had much talent for, really. Yeah, it's nice to do that, isn't it? Like push yourself to do something different, I guess, when you've been doing sort of a similar thing in in work and um, sort of to realise that you can change you know what what you might be good at anytime and so when these anniversaries come up now do you still sort of feel like you need to take some time to yourself to grieve away from work or do you find that having work to focus on just helps Uh, a little bit of both yeah Uh, what I've what I've found is is you know I, I took time off for a birthday but then I worked for the anniversary of a death. Right. For me, it just felt like, you know, I, I, I'll take some time off for the positive. Event yeah, that makes sense. Just to like celebrate a life and have a nice day. And but for the sort of more negative experience, I thought, do I want to be, you know, sort of perhaps sat around, you know, on, on a day that's got negative memories? I thought... I thought, no, I'll I'll work that day. I'll you know I'll keep myself yeah. myself busier. So so I think it it varies depending on the day. You know, and mm-hmm. Christmas, I I spend that with with Kate's family. You know, that's right, yeah. That's my Christmas day is spending it with them. Uh, you know, and again, it's that seems a positive way of of sort of dealing with with that day. So so I think it varies depending on the day and the memory whether you want whether you want company, whether you want people uh, or, or whether you want a bit of solitude and a bit of time with with your own thoughts, really. Yeah. I mean, even just knowing what it is that you do need or want is like so important, isn't it? Because not a lot of people might know, just sort of, I guess everyone sort of muddles through it. There's no handbook, but um, yeah, it's definitely good to know your own mind and have that time with your thoughts. Yeah. I, I think, you know, like I say, it's about finding your own ways of coping yeah and and different things work for different people yeah um, you know what one thing one thing I've done since Kate died is I tend to say yes to everything so mm. wh- whenever I'm asked to do something or go somewhere or invited you know for a night out or to an event you know with work I, I say yes yeah. uh, and and I know other people who would say the opposite to me they would say don't say yes to everything. That's that's you know that's 
other people will will find that a better method for me saying yes to everything has been has been much better for me because i find that that encourages me to get out it mm-hmm. stops me you know getting into habit of saying no which i was probably more worried about was getting into habit of saying no and just being a hermit yeah you know, closing so, yourself off too much yeah living on living on my sofa and and not getting involved with with life so i say yes to everything but then when i go to anything i i listen to myself when i feel like i should go home so you know i've i've gone on nights out where i've had to take you know a 90 minute train journey to get to a night out with friends and I've stayed there for two drinks and then decided I'm ready to go home and then done yeah. another 90 minute journey home but I've listened to what my body and my mind is telling me and yeah. that's saying to me go home after two drinks I'll go home after two drinks if it's saying stay out till four in the morning which is unlikely but if it's saying mm-hmm. that then I will stay out till four in the morning but it's about being uh, sort of honest with yourself about what what you need at that moment. So, yeah. uh, so I found that really helpful for me. But like I say, it's other people will say differently. So it is about finding your own your own method really for for dealing with things. Yeah, brilliant. It's it's a really good approach to take because um, you know you could you could sort of feel guilt tripped into doing things you don't want to do or staying for longer but you know that at least you're not going to regret not doing things but you know you're going to allow yourself to just do it as much as is healthy for you or what feels right and that you can enjoy it as much as possible really yeah yeah and what led you to start school of thoughts I know it's sort of tied in with self-development career development so how much of a sort of mental health focused approach does that incorporate along the way School of Thought uh, started with a conversation with an Australian creative director called David Campbell, and he'd moved to Manchester and was working in an agency in Manchester. And he had the idea for it, and he was basically saying, you know, they have this program in Australia that develops creative thinking skills and idea generation skills. And he said, you know, is there nothing like this in Manchester? I said no there's nothing like this in Manchester I don't think there's anything like this in in the UK Mm. Uh, so I said to him well why don't you why don't you do something along those lines and he said well okay I will do but you can help me so so basically I got roped in to help so he he had the idea and I had the contacts so between us we were able to pull together sort of a, a test program in 20 I think it was just January of 2016 that the first program started uh, and like I say, we we managed to get enough. I would class the the first cohort as like guinea pigs in a way, uh, and mm-hmm. enough agencies to to give up their time uh, to to help run the program. And and the first one, you know, sort of launched in January 2016. So uh, and since then, yeah, we we've we're just finishing up the 11th program now. Uh, we've. This is that we've now done three in Leeds as well as in Manchester. Yeah. Um, and we'll be doing a 12th programme in the autumn. Uh, and we're almost up to 140 people who've completed the programme. So mm-hmm. uh, so for me, it, it is, again, it helps with my mental health. It keeps me busy. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a real positive 
experience for me because I go through I go through the journey with the participants mm. as well. So we have 12 participants on School of Thought on each program. And they they go through a journey over the 12 weeks of, yeah. you know, of growth and self-awareness and development of lots of different skills. And I watch them grow as, as individuals and their talent really start to shine. And, and that that gives me really sort of a, a great positive feeling to know that I'm helping people in that way that, you know, often it's people with great talent that, that just need an opportunity to shine or they need, yeah. you know, to believe in themselves more. And mm-hmm. School of Thought is great at, at bringing those, those things out in people uh, so that they leave the programme, you know, really sort of enthused and also really sort of confident about their own abilities and their own place in the creative industry. So, so yeah, I've, I love each one and I, I fall in, in love with the group each time. And I love the group that I'm with now. And then in the autumn, I'll be with another group in Manchester and I'll, I'll fall in love with them, you know, as people, because I can see so much within them uh, that maybe they, they're not seeing themselves yet. And mm. I just love watching that journey of people growing. And I suppose, I suppose we all do, don't we? If we watch, you know, even like a program like Bake Off, you know, on TV, mm. we get invested in a participant, don't we, in their exactly, growth yeah. and their development over the 12 weeks. And there's probably lots of TV shows the same, that that's the hook that yeah. gets people invested in the program, isn't it? It's, it's the individual. Yeah, and their, their and story their arc. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's what I, and I get that with a close-up version with School mm. of Thought twice a year which, like I say, is, is just really sort of marvellous for me, really. It sounds lovely, yeah. It must be such a great process to be so closely involved with. Um, and I thought it was really interesting what you said at the talk a couple of weeks ago, um, the Bloom uh, North talk, uh, every man, um, about men feeling like, or women feeling like they need to do more than men to get the same sorts of opportunities. So... Do you think that sort of means that men are overall more confident or do you think it just means that women are less confident in certain areas and then men might be less confident in certain areas as well? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think, I, I, I do think that's like say, from my experience with School of Thought, that uh, there's a lot of women do the programme who feel they need to do more than their male counterparts to, mm. to get the same opportunities, which is... You know, it's really sad that, you know, that that's something that people, you know, feel they have to do. But yeah, uh, and and you do, you know, I think a number of the women that I speak to have done School of Thought, again, feel they need to validate their skills and, you yeah. know, sort of confirm to themselves that they are, like, you know, really talented. And, you know, and again, I think sometimes men have this inherent, inherent maybe built-in confidence Mm-hmm. And whether that's justified or not, it you know, and for some people it will be, but for others it will be, you know, perhaps a misplaced confidence. But I think, mm-hmm. I think you know, men are more likely to have a belief that, you know, they, you know, they're they're great and they've made it. They're in the industry. They don't need to, you know, do anything else to get you know to get better. But women seem to feel that you know when they do school of thought, they they seem to have perhaps more of a, an interest in self-development and continually 
yeah. developing and refreshing the skills and you know and also you know meeting like-minded people as well which is another sort of reason why a lot of people find school of thought useful is they go through that mm. program with you know with 11 other people who are like-minded individuals uh you know at similar stages of their career and that can be you know really useful to make those connections as well so yeah I was going to say it must open up some really interesting conversations and it must be really nice um sort of supportive network and to see men and women opening up with each other about the certain areas that they might struggle in or feel more confident in it must be so insightful in a way that might not usually happen in say like an office environment yeah because they they all go through the same journey in some ways but they are but their journey is also unique to them yeah um, but generally it's like it, because there's 12 people doing the program and they're all going on there for you know probably similar reasons of development and you know developing certain skills and confidence and things like that but you do find they become each other's biggest cheerleaders. And, you know, in the first week or two, they're often a little bit nervous because they they don't know each other yet. And then within a few weeks, they're, you know, some really strong friendship bonds are formed through going through a shared experience together. Yeah. And they, they do become each other's, like, biggest cheerleaders and each other's biggest supporters. And it becomes after a few weeks, they realise that everybody there is, is there to, to help them and to really sort of, you know, push them forward, that it becomes a really supportive environment for them to develop. And because they're like, everybody here wants me to do well. Everybody here wants me to, you know, improve. And everybody here is going to, you know, sort of give me, you know, a positive sort of platform to do so. And so that really helps people, I think, that, you know, from a, that sort of, you know, mental perspective that actually this is a very safe space in which to put yourself out there. And, you know, if you stumble or you don't quite, you know, you don't quite, you know, hit the mark on a, on a brief in one week and maybe your idea isn't as good as other people's, it'll stick, you know, it's a supportive environment to, to make those mistakes. Yeah. And sometimes it can be scary in a you know in a job environment in a work environment mm-hmm. to, to put yourself out there on a limb and maybe make a mistake you know that can be quite scary for people yeah I mean I can imagine I mean obviously not every single room is always going to be so supportive throughout the career but it must be a confidence boost in itself for people to realize actually people do have your back and they are, they are going through similar things and perhaps people might feel like they're in it on their own when they're trying to progress in their career or but yeah, that that's a huge thing having support of people around you and just sharing like that, I guess. Yeah, yeah, because I think when you know there, there can be an element that maybe you know where you work, you feel like you know you are competing against other people, perhaps. Yeah. In an environment for you know for a step up or for progression or for opportunities, where whereas in school of thought, like I say, you're all there outside of work. It's all something you've committed to. And it's it's something that you can you know d- learn to to do certain things and to develop certain things in a really safe space, um, yeah. and then take those skills and the confidence that you gain from it back into your working environment. Mm. And you know, but you've you've practiced it in a safe environment, uh, you know, which I think is really useful. Yeah.
Yeah, that's so valuable. Um, do you find that it's people sort of earlier on in the career or about to progress like sort of a little bit later on in the career or is it a complete mix? Yeah, I'd say that the sweet spot, probably the majority of people that have done School of Thought are probably people who are, say, sort of two to four years into the career. Right, uh, yeah. And who've, you know, got a foundation in the industry and are looking to, you know, to push themselves forward, to accelerate. And, you know, perhaps they've looked around and thought, you know, I, you know, I'm maybe I'm good, maybe I'm talented, but I can do more. And I want to bring more out of myself, yeah. uh, you know, and it's a way of doing that. So because certainly for creatives, uh, there isn't a lot of ongoing industry sort of training available for creatives. So uh, that's one of the sort of the gaps it fills, really. Uh, and, you know, but we do have people who are literally at the start of the career and we do have some people who are more senior as well. So uh, but probably that sort of two to four years, two to five years experience is probably the sweet spot. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and could you also talk a little bit about some of the mental health initiatives you're involved with? Because I know that you go and speak at events occasionally, like the one I attended, about your own mental health journey and help others in that way as well. Yeah, I've, I've, I've always been someone who, who is very vocal and very happy to be vocal. So for me, like say, if I get an opportunity to go and talk at an event or or one to one with somebody, I, I will always do so. Yeah, um, I'm very vocal on on all my social medias. I find that's very helpful for me, uh, and I feel that opens uh, me up as an individual that will that will listen to people as well. And you know, over over the last three years, I've had lots of messages from people saying, you know, you you've inspired me to, uh, to you know to to or whatever they're going through or you know you've you've helped me to get through something by talking about what you're going through and 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 that sort of thing I just find is really useful I think the more we all talk about mental health and the the issues we're facing it helps other people so so for me it's all about uh, being a visible uh, presence that is approachable uh, and yeah. you know if, if people feel like they want to reach out to me you know, I will always talk to people. I'll always have a conversation or grab a coffee. Uh, you know, I I'm, I'm feel like I'm a good listener. And, you know, I'm always happy to sort of absorb people's stories and, and listen to what they've got to say. So that yeah. for me is is a big part of it, is, is being available for each other uh, and making people feel like they can, they can open up in the same way that I do. Yeah people's stories are just so important aren't they to share with each other that's how people connect with each other and you know when you spoke at the event I was at I could see a few tears in the audience because obviously um there was a lot of inspiring stuff but like connecting people on an emotional level is important as well you know as well as around all the career stuff um so yeah it's fantastic really really inspiring um and what's been the most rewarding aspects um, of your work on both of these sort of levels in personal and professional development and mental health? I think for me, it's it's like on a professional level, I find it's when I watch people's confidence grow mm. and that they're all of a sudden that 
you know, like, you know, we talk a lot about imposter syndrome and things like that, don't we, in the industry? And I think once, yeah. once people's confidence and in their own ability grows, just watching what they then go on to achieve once they've unlocked mm. belief in themselves, and then they can then go on and help others to do the same. And all of a sudden you're spreading this movement throughout the industry of, of people with positive energy, which I think is really important. Uh, and on a, on a personal level, like I say, it's it's about giving people inspiration to talk about their own problems. And yeah. you know, I I get like I say a lot of messages from people who who want to talk to me. And I'm not a counselor, but I I will listen and I will talk to people. You know, and I find that that people reaching out to me just is it gives me huge amounts of positivity when they when they reach out to me and it encourages me to keep going and it encourages me to keep talking which in turn helps other people in the future as well so so it's like a circle isn't it of like you know the more I do the more other people will do so I need to keep going because that will encourage other people to do the same yeah, it's such a nice way to look at it because not everyone does see it like that, you know. They don't look at it in how it can help other people. And, mm. um, yeah, saying about the circle, it's like everyone says, you know, we're all connected and it's so true. And it's it obviously personally fulfill, fulfilling as well when you can see other people thrive from the insight that you can bring to them and sharing your experiences. So, mm. yeah, it's really good. Um. And what are the things that impact your own mental health the most? I know you've obviously touched on the grief. Um, I imagine that forms quite a big part of it. Yeah, and it's, it's quite hard sometimes to pinpoint why I have a bad moment or mm. a bad day. Uh, and it can, it can come from a variety of different places, really. But sometimes it can be from a memory, you know. So, mm. like I say, important days and anniversaries can... Uh, can sometimes you know impact me negatively but sometimes yeah. it can be hearing a song on the radio that mm. has some meaning uh, or you know perhaps it's waking up from a dream uh, you know and perhaps I've had a I've had a bad dream you know sometimes I, I do remember dreams uh, you know about my wife and you know you wake up and and she's not there and that can start your day off on a really bad on a bad footing, you know, mm. all of a sudden, you know, you, you're having a dream and you're doing something lovely in your dream and then you wake up and and the bed's empty next to you. Uh, that can literally knock you for six at the start of your day. Yeah, and, I can imagine. But you've still got to find a way then really to, to get up and get dressed and, you know, go to work and, you know, get on with with everything you need to do that day and that's yeah. and that's really difficult and that's that's one of the, t- the tougher bits is when you know when something hits you at that start of the day uh something hitting you at the end of the day is not so difficult because mm. often you know, perhaps your day is over or, or or you're in a safe space perhaps you're at home but at the start of the day they're the real they're the real tricky days when when yeah. something hits you first thing in the morning they're the ones that i find difficult yeah, there's more pressure then, isn't there, I guess, to sort of contend with that as well as everything else you have going ahead yeah. in your day. So what would you tell people going through these same sorts of issues? Yeah, I think, I think like I said before, I think you've, you've got to find your own ways of, of coping. Uh, you know, and w- whatever works for you, I think, is, is the most important thing. Uh, 
And one of the key things that I always think about is, is that it's, it's an analogy that, that sort of I've, I've used in my counseling sessions. Mm. And what I tend to think of myself as like, I'm, I'm, I'm in a little boat on the ocean. Yeah. And sometimes those, those waves will come up over my boat and they will knock my boat about because I'm in a little boat and I'm on the ocean. But gradually, the more you learn to sort of cope with, with, with your issues that you've got, cope with your problems, those, those waves will become less than they were. You know, so when, when Kate first died, those waves were huge. Mm-hmm. And they were knocking my boat about, coming over the top. And now I've become better at sort of like, I've been better at sort of steering my boat through the waves. And the waves that do hit me are not as bad anymore. You know, they, the, the waves sometimes can get choppy now, but they're not, it's not, it's not knocking my boat over anymore. And I think thinking of yourself like that and like say that those things will happen, those waves will come and knock your boat over. Yeah. But you can, you can turn your boat back up and get yourself back sailing in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, you know, don't worry too much if, if a wave does knock you over because you can get you can get your boat back up and you can get sailing just in the right direction you know as soon as you've you know been knocked over and gradually those waves will get easier it'll become much easier to to navigate those choppy waters yeah it's such a lovely analogy and it must be really reassuring for people because you know obviously with grief it never goes away and you hear things like and people probably think well how am I ever gonna be able to cope but it's nice to know that the sort of progressions of it and you are able to learn your own coping mechanisms and obviously things like counseling are so integral to that as well yeah definitely um and what's your own coping method when you're having a bad day yeah so it's always about allowing my my body and mind to tell me what it needs Mm. so and and that could be a variety of things so that might be staying in bed longer you know that might be uh curling up on the sofa for the evening with some treats uh it might be going out for a run you know it might be going out for a long dog walk uh, it could be any of those things and and it, i try not to judge uh myself too harshly mm-hmm. so like i say if i if i feel like you know i need to be uh you know, like I say, if I need to be naughty and have a few chocolates that I shouldn't have had, I'm not going to judge myself. I'm not going to no. beat myself up for treating myself when I feel like that's what I need. Um, but at the same time, you know, when when I, you know, when I need a exercise, I will go and exercise. So, so for me, it's really important to listen to your body. You know, if you, I think if you ignore your body and your mind, I think that's a mistake. And I think if you judge yourself too harshly, you'll, I think that can only lead to sort of negative, negative feelings. So like I say, think about what your, what your body and mind needs at that moment in time and give it to yourself, you know, and, and yeah. that will ultimately, I think, give you a more uh, better way of coping uh, with, with the bad days. You know, like I say, sometimes I will literally, you know, curl up at home, on the sofa 
and shut the curtains and light a few candles and you know have some treats and if that's what I need that's what I'll give myself yeah yeah it's so important to just let yourself do what you need to and obviously you know that you're not gonna be doing that forever you know that you have a really good outlook in that you'll say yes to a lot of things so you have to sort of give yourself the time to just retreat I guess as well when you need to yeah like you say you know you know you're not gonna like uh you know go running every day you know you're not gonna like eat lots of uh treats every day it's Mm. on certain days if that's what you need then then go for it you know and you know less judgment of yourself I think is really important 100% yeah all about the balance and not Mm. judging yourself and what was your biggest challenge during the pandemic yeah for me it was and I I suppose this is probably true for a lot of people uh, the isolation was Mm. the biggest challenge Uh, you know I'm I'm not a person I'm not built to be alone Mm. I'm I'm a social animal for sure Uh, and as much as you know as I've said before you know some days uh, you know I do need my own company um, and and I am quite comfortable with my own company but three months of it was was certainly an extreme uh, yeah so you know that that was a challenge and I think we all learned a lot about about spending time alone you know Mm -hmm. in that time period didn't we oh god yeah I mean it still would have been fairly early in the grieving process for you as well wouldn't it so it was so much it it started about uh what would it have been about eight months after Kate died right oh god yeah I mean like you say we did all learn so much and at least we got to know ourselves better but yeah we don't need it to that to that degree we're definitely all social animals and it is we missed people around us definitely yeah I mean that was the whole reason I started the podcast I just missed talking to people you know and I knew we all had these stories to share with each other and we all suddenly had this common ground so it was like a really nice thing to unite us as well yeah definitely Um, and what was the surprise positive of the pandemic for you so I would I would say the surprise positive was uh was sort of the opposite of what I've just said so the actuality of being more comfortable uh, with isolation and being more comfortable with the loneliness and emptiness of being a widower. So it it was a bit cold turkey, you Mm. know. It was, you know, like all of a sudden just cold turkey, you're on your own. Yeah. But it worked. Uh, You know, it, it it was something that I had to get used to at some point. And it probably accelerated that that development of getting used to being on my own, you know, because like I say, it was it was sort of eight months after Kate had died. You know, the first three months is a whirlwind. So then you're just starting to get into uh, the grieving process and getting used to life in a different way. And, you know, just having three months where I had to do it. I had to get used to the emptiness of the house the loneliness of life being a widower, you know, because one of the things with being a widower is, especially at the age I am, and I'm 42, is that the majority of my friends are are married. They're, yeah. well, they're all married. So 
I'm the odd one out now, you know? And so you don't have the same social life that you did when you were in your mid twenties, when most of you were single and you were going out all the time. So, so it is, it can be quite, you know, a lonely life, you know, being a widower. Uh, but that pandemic sort of initial three month period, it, it, it did help me to get used to it. You know, so it was a surprise positive for sure, but it, but it did help. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine it's an interesting point about sort of accelerating the process because I guess it's sort of, you end up progressing through the stages of grief probably quicker than you might have done. I mean, who knows how long that might have taken otherwise and having all that time with yourself, getting to know yourself and what have you. I guess self-compassion was perhaps easier to reach for when you then were sort of contending with going back to reality as well and you know socializing again everything that went with being back to normal yeah definitely was and what's some one thing you wish someone would do for you when you're having a bad day I I I really enjoy receiving you know sort of positive positive messages positive comments Mm. Uh, you know, I feel like if if I'm if I've helped somebody, you know, please just tell me. You know, and I think we all should do that in general in life, shouldn't we? We should, you know, we should compliment people more. You know, we yeah. should thank people more. You know, I've, I've seen like uh, you know one or two videos online on social media of people, you know, going up to random strangers and you know being kind to them and you know, saying nice things to them, you know, like, oh, you look really lovely today and things like that. And that makes people feel, you know, much, much better. So I think anything positive, uh, you know, would help. If I'm having a bad day and I receive a a positive message about, you know, whether I've helped somebody, personal life, professional life, anything, that really helps me. You know, so so for me, I think we all need to do more of that. You know, the world definitely does need to be a kinder place, mm. uh, you know, regardless of whether somebody's, you know, suffering from, you know, from anything like, like I am. But I think the more kind people are, the better the world's going to be ultimately. Yeah, I think perhaps some of it is like tied up with being a British thing as well. Like, you know, the awkwardness around saying something really positive and nice to someone it's like it shouldn't be like that because it shouldn't be that we're waiting until people have gone to say great things about them or to them and obviously there's so many people that need to hear it as well like makes such a difference as you say that element of kindness yeah definitely and what's the best thing you ever did for yourself Uh, so there's probably two answers to this so one is sort of before Kate died and one is afterwards so the thing I did earlier on in my life that was the best thing I ever did was I did a university exchange program to America and mm. I went to America for a year and at 19 years old, that was just brilliant for me, for my development yeah, as, a, as a person. Uh, like, And the amount of growing up you have to do when you're in a foreign country at 19 is unbelievable. So for me, that was the best thing I did earlier on in my life because it, it accelerated my growth as a person and my development and it, it focused my mind. So when I came back, 
and I had to finish off my degree in this country, I was just so much more focused. Yeah. Uh, and that really sort of helped me massively uh, as a young man. And then since since Kate died, the, the best thing I ever did was uh, I walked Hadrian's Wall with, with my dog, Oscar. Mm. And that was just, again, just a, a cathartic experience to uh, to spend, you know, it, it took us five days to to complete the walk. Uh, the the challenge was was huge. The weather was awful. We did it in February. Uh, I was I've been told that nobody ever ever does it in February uh, because <laughs> the weather's so bad. Uh, Quite and, a challenge. <laughs> yeah, and and it was just me and me and Oscar and and, and we raised we raised five thousand pounds for a local cancer charity which was fantastic and you know that the founder of the charity came to see me afterwards and said you know no no one individual has ever raised that much money for them Uh, and it helped uh, 20 women recovering from cancer to go on an all expenses weekend retreat amazing Uh, and you know when when you hear (laughs) things like that you think right that was worth it yeah you know it was it was tough it was really really tough uh, but we absolutely loved it at the same wow. time and you know just again the bonding between me and Oscar you know he's he's my you know one of my connections to Kate you know because mm. the dog we got together and yeah. you know we on that walk like I didn't have any human company so I spent five days talking to him you know and that bond that we've got together is is really really strong so so yeah. that was the best thing I think I've done since since Kate died. And I'm certainly thinking about what my next challenge will be, uh, you know, and the, there might be something I'll do next year, I think, uh, you know, of, of a similar sort of challenge that I want to do. I would want to do something that I could do with Oscar. So, you know, anything that I couldn't do with him, I, I won't do it. Oh. But if there's things I can do with him, then then... I'm definitely sort of thinking about what what is the plan for next year's challenge. Yeah, brilliant. Dogs are such good company. I talk to my dog all the time. Like, <laughs> you know, I spend the majority of a lot of my days with him working from home and um, I've had him for 11 years now. So, yeah, definitely empathise with that connection. He's definitely very intuitive, like in terms of being really tuned into my emotions. Yeah. Um, like if he senses I'm stressed, he starts getting really stressed and he'll like come over and reassure me and things like that. And yeah, yeah. it's a very special bond with the dog. I think so. And I think, you know, I, I certainly, you know, went through, you know, Kate dying with Oscar and you could, you could sort of sense that he knew something was up when she was mm. worse. And, you know, when she died, we, we certainly felt he was, uh, you know, he, he, he wasn't himself or, for quite a few weeks, mm. you know, and, and talking to the vet, you know, dogs do grieve people, you know, they, they yeah. the vets, you know, do believe that. So, so, you know, it was something we've gone through together. And, and like you say, I, I feel like he knows my moods and my feelings uh, and my emotions really closely. So, you know, again, you know, if you've, if you've got a dog, I'm sure whatever you're going through will be, will be helped by having a dog and, and probably other pets too, I'm sure. But certainly as a dog lover, I I, I certainly think dogs are uh, a real real positive for, for somebody's mental health. Definitely. Um, 
my last episode, actually, Rochelle, who's a writer, she wrote a children's book about um, grieving her last dog because she said there just weren't any resources out there for children. And she was talking about the bond that she had with her own dog and when she got poorly and she had fits and things and he came over to like, he alerted her husband basically got the ambulance and yeah. So it's been a, a common theme of late, definitely emotional connection with animals. And what's one thing you'd want to tell the younger version of yourself? I think I'd, I'd want my younger version of me to, to be aware that life isn't going to be a, like a straightforward upward curve. Yeah. You know, there are, there are ups and downs along the way, uh, you know, but, but try not to worry too much about, about the bad things. And, you know, there'll be far more good things that outweigh the bad things. And, you know, I, I often look at it even, and I've talked about this in my counseling sessions, but even though, you know, it, it's terribly sad that Kate died and I miss her terribly, but I also look at the fact that I was fortunate to love someone and not, not everybody gets an opportunity to love someone. You know, some people don't ever find someone. So I count myself as lucky that, that I met her and we had the most wonderful time together. And I see that as a positive and, you know, try and think about that as being, this was amazing. And I've had something that other people might not get. And if I was only supposed to have that 